Good evening, and welcome to the evening sermon stream here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, I do just have a couple quick announcements. Uh, first, if you need any assistance during this time, uh, if you're a member of the church, you can reach out to your deacon. Uh, otherwise, you can either send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at fhpcathens.org. My other announcement is that in two weeks, on July 12th, uh, we'll start having our Sunday evening services back in person. Uh, so we do encourage that you come join us for that. Uh, if you are not able to join us, we will still be offering um, the streaming options both on Facebook and YouTube and also the call-in number. Uh, we'll be continuing to do that for all of our services. Uh, so if we hope that you are able to join us for that. Uh, now before I pass it over to Brother Mike, let's have a quick word of prayer. Uh, hey God, I just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that we have just to be able to come together as a body of believers and just dive into your word. Um, I pray that uh, you would just open up our hearts for the message that you have for us tonight, God, that you would just use Brother Mike uh, and just speak through him and that uh, we would just be able to apply the words to our lives this week, God. Uh, I pray that as the churches uh, around town are starting to open back up, God, that they would just continue to be cautious and uh, just celebrate that they're able to worship together in person. Um, I pray that if there are any requests that uh, somebody's watching this may have, God, that you would just be with that in a special way. Uh, we love you and we praise you. It's on your son's stem that I pray. Amen. It's good to be with you again. And we're looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians. And as we study the book of Thessalonians, we're looking at the authentic church. Some of the characteristics of this church Every church that wants to be the real, genuine church should look at this and pattern themselves after it, imitate them. Uh, they were authentic in their ministry, and that is what we're going to be looking at in this message. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we will be examining this. You know, when witnessing to people, one question that arises often is, why are there so many denominations, so many different churches if Christians believe in the same God? You know, it's a reasonable question. It's a good question. But maybe what they should be asking is, why do so many churches look different as far as with what they believe and how they act? You know, I don't care how many denominations we have. What I want and what I care for is what they believe in and how they act. No wonder there are many, so many lost people in our society because they just don't know what a genuine church should look like. Better yet, what a Christian community is supposed to do. Not just be like or look like, but to be. And what they're looking for is something authentic, real. We hear, we hear from the news and we uh, hear many churchgoers even uh, tell us what they think Christianity is. And most are only opinions, unfortunately. This is because Christianity has become 
more of a one's opinion than it is of what God's Word says it's to be. Now, when Christianity becomes what man decides it to be, then God is no longer on the throne with them. He is no longer sovereign to them. They have made God out to be what they desire for Him to be. He becomes to them an ever-changing person because man is ever-changing. He becomes a relative God. It's not what God says any longer that matters, but what man decides it to be. Truth no longer becomes absolute. Well, we will be examining from the epistle of Thessalonians what authentic Christianity is. Paul has talked about in chapter 1 some characteristics of what an authentic Christian or authentic church should be like. And as a, a church, many wonder, okay, this is what he says about the church or about the Christians that belong to the church, but what about what kind of ministries should be going on in an authentic church. And Paul tells us about the authentic ministry of the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And he does this by talking about the beginning ministry that was at the Thessalonian church and how authentic it was. He talks about his motives for uh, starting it to begin with, and he, he talks about the motive for serving it. He talks about the legitimacy that he and Silas and Timothy uh, had and that, they, that you know, they were there to spread the gospel, to do God's will, and that there were others who were trying to stop him. They criticized him. They slandered his work, his motives. These followed him around. They followed him from Philippi there and those that had persecuted him there. And they, they continued to follow him in his ministry, trying to uh, make his ministry out to be illegitimate. They were professional critics, if you will. You know the kind. It's kind of like those critics of ball games. You know, all of us become critics of ball games. But many become critics of ball game, and, and the worst critics that are out there, it seems like, are the ones that have never played the, ball, uh, the game or coached the game. They're sideliners. They're the audience. They're non-participants. And the same thing is with religious people a lot of times. A phrase Paul uses in similar ways throughout this chapter that needs to be noted and that they needed to understand is you yourselves know, in verse 1, in verse 5, as you know, this was very important. Verse 9, for you recall. Verse 10, you are witnesses. And verse 11, just as you know. What is Paul trying to get across? He's telling the Thessalonian believers. These critics are those who don't know me. 
In other words, they don't know the game. They certainly don't know my motives, my heart, if you will. But you on the other side, you do know. You know me. You know my heart. You know my motives. So don't listen to those who don't know me. Listen to your own heart. Not what they say. Believe what you know to be true about me. And about Silas. And about Timothy. And about what has happened. Don't let them discourage you and get you going a wrong direct, in a wrong direction. Remember what God has done. Continue to examine that. Continue to witness that. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, we had that right, but we didn't. But we proved to be gentle among you as a, this is very important, this is one of the main points brought out in this message, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children having so fond an affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because we had become very dear, you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. There it is again, that relationship there, a parent and child, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory first thing about this authentic ministry we need to understand that it involves determination in other words if we're going to have an authentic ministry we've got to be determined in the Lord we've got to keep our faith strong in the Lord for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered, 
There it is. And been mistreated in Philippi. As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Authentic ministry, authentic ministry is ministry that continues no matter what it might cost. In other words, there is a determination that the Spirit of God places in your heart and your soul to not give up. Paul had every reason to turn around and go back instead of coming to them in Thessalonica. The way that he had been treated in Philippi, he, he could have easily turned around and said, it's not worth it. In Acts 16, we have light that shed on the situation. And it says that Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison because of the gospel. If the message that Paul preached wasn't real, then his ministry wouldn't have been real. If that was the case, then I'm sure it wouldn't have kept him going if it wasn't real. But the gospel is real. His ministry was real. How do we know that it was real? Well, one way was by the price tag that he was uh, willing to pay. Paul's coming to them, he says, was not in vain. He was willing to pay the price. In other words, it was not empty. It was not without reason. It was not fruitless. It was not without success. It was real. It was productive. It had meaning. Paul was reminding the believers in Thessalonica that it was the real deal. It was authentic. So even though you're being persecuted, remember others were being persecuted, we were being persecuted, it is a real deal. This persecution shows you that it's a real deal. The purpose for coming was not like false teachers and impostors who were manipulating people into following them and giving them money. Paul's purpose was authentic. It was real because of the price tag that he was willing to pay. Paul's purpose was authentic. Persecution had followed Paul to Philippi and was continuing to follow him. He suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, it says. If we individually and corporately are going to be authentic, we've got to be willing to persevere. Even when things get tough. When our popularity is on the downswing. And oh, the excitement is not there perhaps like it used to be. When we lose and we don't seem to be what we used to be. Or the, uh, the ones who are of greater success. When we're criticized. He says we must persevere. There must be a determination not to quit, to keep on going. Now, the real test of authenticity, whether serving the Lord at church or serving Him at work or in the home or, or at school, wherever it might be, comes when everyone around us begin to test us. 
And maybe they're not agreeing with us. The real test of authenticity comes when people turn against us, when we're following the Lord. Not when we're obnoxious or, or when we're, we're mean, but when we're standing for Christ. When people start opposing our values and beliefs, when they try to get us to change and, and uh, practice, whether in our culture or at church, that which we find that we, goes against our values and our commitments uh, in the Lord, then what do we do? do we, are we determined to, to stay true to the Lord? That's when the true test comes. It's when we are in the world and we are the minority. That's when authenticity shines. You see, Paul was beaten. He was put in jail. All of this for the gospel's sake. But he didn't let that stop him from continuing on to, to continue to Thessalonica, to persevere, to be determined in his walk. Like Paul and Silas and Timothy, we stand for God in persecution. He will show us enough of his glory when we do to keep on keeping on. The critics were, they were hot after Paul trying to contradict what had happened in Thessalonica. They were trying to prove that Paul's ministry was a failure, that it wasn't real. Being beaten, being thrown in prison for the gospel, that's bad enough, isn't it? But being unjustly criticized is something equally as bad. Unjust criticism can come from all arenas of life. I mean, it can come from our marital arena with our spouses our parent-child relationship come from the child or come from the parent fellow employees our boss our friends and yes even church people unfortunately in such situations it's difficult to defend ourselves to defend ourselves against unjust criticism Because we want to become defensive. It's easy to undermine a a person's confidence in themselves or someone else with just a few seeds of negative criticism. Very quickly, those seeds of criticism will sprout and grow into a whole field of doubt in that person's life. This happens at, at times in ministry. It happened with Paul. In ministry. At numerous times. Paul's apostleship was questioned. At other times he was accused of taking advantage of people. For money's sake. Paul let the believers know that. That he and Silas and Timothy his team. Were approved by God. And they were out to please God and not man. And because of this, Paul was able to speak boldly. Why? Because he answered to one person, and that was God. He was his source. He was his king. He was his leader. He was his director. His boldness came from being true to God. In other words, it came from God as he was true to him. To Paul, God wasn't just a concept, as it is in many cases with People who go to church. He was more than a concept. 
to be accepted in the mind. I'm afraid that a lot of people accept that in the minds. But he doesn't become the presence within them in the heart. To change the life and to, uh, to continue on and to, to be bold for him. When you don't bend concerning the gospel of Christ, you can expect persecution. Living a life where your desire is to please God and not man, then God gives you the boldness to stand for Him. He gives you the power by the grace of the Holy Spirit working in you. Boldly proclaiming Christ. You see, living a life where your desire is to please God, that's the key, and not man. That gives you the boldness to stand for the Lord. Too many people, I'm afraid, try to please man. We all do. We preachers, everyone. And before we know it, we're pleasing man instead of God. And our boldness is not there. Paul told Timothy, And those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That is not a maybe here. But in the midst of opposition, one can have boldness. And we can be guaranteed of that. Isn't it a shame that too often we become Snowflakes, as they call us, or wimps, as others call us, in our Christian walk. We want to be too politically correct instead of biblically correct. Too many singing and praising God boldly in church, but when outside in the world, it seems like we lose our voice too often. When it comes to Christ and standing boldly for his word. An authentic ministry has determination. It perseveres. It keeps going in spite of the cost. The reason an authentic ministry can keep going in spite of opposition is point two. Is its priority to please God. As I mentioned a little bit earlier. An authentic ministry's priority is to please God. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not pleasing men, but God. Who examines our heart? Man doesn't know our heart. Man cannot know our heart, but God does. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Paul's preaching, his exhortation here, is a word that means to call alongside. To have someone beside you to help. Paul is reminding the believers in Thessalonica that his preaching was a comfort and a help to them. That's what it was meant for. We told you the truth. We did not fabricate a story. 
We did not make up some myth. False teachers will have false motives. Paul tells them our motives were not false or evil. Paul was being accused of error. He was being accused of lying to people just to get a following. He was also being accused of impurity. They were accusing him of compromising his ethics. They could have been associating Paul with the cults of the day when they talked about that. They also accused Paul of being deceptive. The word means, uh, description there is putting a bait out or putting bait on a hook. It's luring people by deceptive motives. Paul was, in other words, using illegitimate means in order to take advantage of people. To use tricks and gimmicks to get people to respond to the gospel. He was accused of flattering speech. Trying to make one feel good for the purpose of being accepted. Of telling them what they, they wanted to hear. Also of trying to get notoriety for fame, money, and power. Paul tells them, I, we did not try to please men, but instead only pleasing God, the one who examines the heart. He said, we came to you and we told you the truth. We didn't present some rose garden to you. Easy believism. He told them ahead of time that they would be persecuted and suffer. There was no hidden agendas with this message. He told them the truth. He told them that security came in Christ, but not freedom from problems and difficulties. A truth to heed what was said. Sermons are not devised to always make a person feel good. They also make one feel convicted and have them weeping with that. Because of their condition, they are seeing and examining themselves for what uh, condition they're really in. And they weep and they, they are convicted over it. Paul did not play to the crowd using flattery of speech. And everything was out on the table. Authenticity does not mean you are perfect. It just means that you are measuring your wrongs against God's standards and not man's. Many people today gauge authenticity and authenticity of their church by what others are saying about it. What we need to do is judge what man says against what God says in his word. God tells us that his ways are not our ways. That tells us that God works in many ways that we miss, especially if we're not walking with God. Walking in His Spirit, abiding in His words, and having His words abide in us. Also, if God says something is wrong, then no matter what others say, it's wrong, isn't it? Flattering speech, pretext for greed here, to get something we want. It may be building a name or building a ministry, whatever it is. Getting something we want. Paul's motive was not that. Paul's motive was for reaching the Thessalonians for Christ. For God's glory. For his kingdom's sake. He didn't do that which was popular, but that which pleased God. Paul was willing to allow God to examine his heart to see his motives and to reveal his authenticity in ministry. You know the great uh, wall of China 
it was invaded three times and it was by the hordes and it wasn't invaded because of someone climbing over the wall and it wasn't invaded because someone digging under the wall or going around the wall it was invaded because of the gatekeeper who was willing to be bribed if we are trying to please men then we will be tempted to be bribed in some form or fashion if we are not authentic it doesn't matter what we build because we will have the tendency to be bribed Paul could not be bribed he was authentic authentic ministry will be a mentoring ministry and I'm just going to briefly talk about this but he said but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly caring for their own children having so fond affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you'd become very dear to us for you recall brethren our labor and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaimed you the gospel of God you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his child, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You see, here we, we see um, a father... A mother who is, who is taking care of the child, who is nursing the child. The child is dependent upon the mother. There's no conditions as far as the child is concerned and the mother is concerned. The child can't say, well, you know, take care of me and I'll do this. Or the mother can't say, I'll take care of you if you do this. No, the child is totally dependent upon the mother. And the mother is sacrificially giving herself to them. And that's a picture that we see of Paul with the, uh, the, Thessalonica, uh, the Thessalonians. And, uh, you know, I look at our own life. One of the hardest things in my life, I believe, uh, and in Debbie's life, was we, we became an empty nest in one year. All our children moved out. Ben, our oldest son, got married. Shane, I mean our middle son. And Shane, our oldest son, he moved away to attend school and work. And Jeremy left, our youngest son, for school in Charleston. That was the worst year of our life just about. I mean, adjustment-wise. You, you, you'd go by their rooms and they were empty. You know, you, you'd sit down at the table and there was no longer the children there with you. You'd look out the window in the backyard and there wasn't anyone playing ball or playing together out there. You begin to wonder, did I teach them as a parent the way that I should have? Did I impart to them the things that they needed to make the right decisions, the right choices in life? Well, Paul was here letting them know that he tried his best. And he probably had some of the same feelings as, as he went to that church and, and he started it up and they were young in faith and then he had to move on and, and uh, start up another church and, 
And, you know, uh, he wondered about them. And he was, he was uh, wondering, did I impart everything to them that I, uh, that I needed to? And he was letting them know, I tried to be the nursing mother that, that I, uh, I needed to be to you. I tried to care for you. I, I, in, I offered you gentle care. I was sincere. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how hard, uh, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. I didn't want to be an a added burden in any way, so we worked night and day at hard work to, uh, to provide for ourselves so that we could minister to you without putting that added burden to you. Not that you, uh, you, know, you wouldn't be uh, called to help us and to help provide for us, but we didn't want that at this time because it was a new start. No one could accuse him of using his ministry for his own profit. He was a sincere father, working, take care of him. He wasn't uh, a father who would uh, leave the or be an added burden to the family by not working, he was out there working. A genuine church in their ministry will do the same. They'll, uh, the, you know, they'll work as a father for God's kingdom, not putting the load on just a few, but doing what they can. Every one of them in the uh, the, the church, doing what they can to carry the load and make it lighter for others. A sincere father will be an example. You are witnesses. And so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you. Fathers must live so that they are good examples. He was a sincere father teaching the truth. And then we know that he, uh, in verses uh, 11 and 12, and, and he, he uh, also uh, was a sincere father in the sense that he dealt with believers personally he didn't just deal with them as a whole but he prayed for each and every one of them he cared for each and every one of them he comforted them with words of challenge and words of discipline if necessary he challenged he implored them it says this means that he testified to them out of his own experiences he encouraged them through his own experiences when they were going through this testing and trials and and difficulties and his purpose to uh, and the purpose that he had down was not a selfish purpose it was to walk worthy of god good fathers want their children to make them proud our Heavenly Father wants us to bring glory to Him. And He knew that. And so He wanted them to bring glory to the Heavenly Father. You know, you can visit a house with a sign in the window that says, Beware of dogs. And they may not have a dog in the house. We have a sign out front of our church that says, Forest Heights Baptist Church. Let's make sure we have an authentic church and not just a sign. Let's be genuine in our life and in our ministry. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the kind of church that will bring honor and glory to your name that will be all that it needs to be. And God, we can only do that by living a life close to you, allowing your words to be in us and us in your word. And God, allowing a change to come about as you conform us to the image of Christ. Help us.
to be that genuine church, that authentic church. In Jesus' name, amen.